I wanted to do something where I felt like I was helping people. Hi, and welcome to Good is in the Details. I am your host, Gwendolyn Dalski, and guest hosting with me today is Los Angeles lawyer and man who insists I learn public transit, Rudy Salo. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm fine. I hate to admit this, but I drove here because there was no public transportation option. Mm -hmm. Had there (laughs) been a public transportation option, I would have been probably on time Mm -hmm. and not stopped into police you know, slowdowns on the way here. But this is not a show about public transportation. This is a show about (laughs) many topics other than public transportation, which is an ugly thing. And this show is about beauty, I believe. Is that correct? So we're going to be talking about beauty with the only female facial plastic surgeon in Ventura County, Dr. Christina Tanzavati. Hi there, Gwen. Hello. Okay, let's talk beauty. What drove your interest in cosmetic surgery in the first place? So you're in medical school, and then what makes you take this direction? That was actually the farthest from my mind, cosmetic surgery. Because I think most of us going into medicine think we want to help people, and that's our vision of what a doctor looks like. And so actually I was thinking I want to do surgery. In medical school, you have two paths. Either you do internal medicine or surgery, and then there's some other side ones, which might be pathology or radiology, some smaller ones. But the two main categories are either medicine or surgery. Mm -hmm. And I was interested in surgery because I could see that I could change something right then and there and get an outcome at that moment instead of waiting with medicine, waiting a couple Mm -hmm. months, oh, that medicine has finally kicked in. So I wanted to do surgery. And then the field that I entered was ENT, which is ear, nose, and throat, head, and neck surgery. Mm -hmm. And it was because I really liked the anatomy, which was really complex. So we have so many nerves and so many arteries and veins in the neck, and it's probably the hardest to dissect. So I wanted to find an area that was challenging. Yeah. It's interesting interesting because as a lawyer, you know, we have our own two paths. We have litigation, which can last for forever, and you you don't get a lot of results very quickly, or Mm -hmm. you have, like, transactional, which is what I am. I'm a deal lawyer. Mm-hmm. Started off in litigation and I said, this is just going to take way too long. I don't have that kind of patience. I want early results. I want to close these deals. But I've never heard, my wife's a surgeon and she never explained it like that to mm-hmm. me. So that's that's very interesting. Yeah. When you were growing up, just a quick question, did you like puzzles and video games? Because that's why that's why my wife explains she became a surgeon. <laughs> You've got me figured out. Is that true? Really? <laughs> I, I was just asking. I loved Miss Pac-Man. Ah, my wife was Tetris. Mm-hmm. Huge Tetris dun- <laughs> junkie. Solving. Like a really, yeah, big yeah. big problem solver. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. That's, that's, that's great. Oh, yeah, and and um, my partner, she she knows I love puzzles. So that's one of the gifts she'll get me. <laughs> I got a 2,000-piece puzzle, and I was so happy. <laughs> well, when you start on so it, can great. you stop, or do you have to do it until you finish it? Oh, I will go up into the wee hours doing yeah, it. Yeah, so it's exactly like my wife. Wow, yeah, you guys will get along perfectly. <laughs> You won't talk because you'll be doing a puzzle, but <laughs> yeah. but that's okay. Yeah. Tell me a bit about the patients who come in. I'm curious, in your years of experience, what trends have you seen? What people mm-hmm. want? Has there been some kind of a shift from when you started to what you have now? In terms of maybe trends, I think I see more men coming in okay. for plastic surgery. I don't think that it's still as accepted because there's still that concern that somebody's going to see. So they are always looking out to be like, well, how do I hide this? So that's a question. I still get that from my female patients as well. But I think with men, even the thought of letting anybody know that they get Botox 
is like mm-hmm. a is a concern for them. What's the youngest patient you've ever gotten? Youngest patient? Guy or girl? Guy. Well, this would be a teenager, 18. So that would be nose, nose surgery, rhinoplasty. Yeah. I had I had my nose job at 15. That's why I was That's asking the question. Yeah, I did. Well, it was there was a lot of reasons why I got it. I mean, I had a sinus problem, but I, I, I actually, yeah, I, I got plastic surgery when I was 15. I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And your parents, so your parents had to have been on board with, I mean, oh, obviously yeah. to have, oh, wow. Yeah, they were on board 100%. They knew how much it was affecting me. So one of the reasons I want to ask about that experience is because something that Dr. T has talked about in, on her website and in her videos is the amount of confidence and happiness that a patient has after mm-hmm. the surgery. So for you, what was that experience? Life-changing. Life-changing? Yeah. I spent like most of growing up up until that point either a being made fun of because of my nose or like staring at it or like mm-hmm. wishing it would change till finally like forcing the issue had a lot of breathing problems and i got into fights because people were making fun of my nose and of course i'm a terrible fighter so it just made my nose look worse after mm-hmm. getting beat up a couple times <laughs> but eventually got it done and then after i got it done amazing changes yeah no it's great i mean that's that's why i was bringing it up like and this was in the early 90s I could only imagine today with social mm-hmm. media and everything so the fact that you, an 18 year old I mean yeah. I'm, I'm I'm actually I'm actually surprised I mean actually I, I have to change that because I if I remember right now I just have a patient that I just saw back recently and no he was 16 when I took care of him wow. and uh, he brought it up to his mother actually that he wanted to have this done and you know his mother didn't think that it was that important to him until he kept bringing it up but he had a big hump on his nose Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that he was teased, but he just felt uncomfortable, you know, with that nose. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Like, that's exactly yeah. how I felt. Yeah. Wow. Well, one of the interesting questions in terms of situating this in the realm of medicine is that there is this question of using a medical solution for a medically unnecessary right. thing. And in quotes, unnecessary. Yes, unnecessary. Well, I've been thinking about this. I think this, sorry to throw in Aristotle here, but I think it goes back to in the very beginning of his ethics, he is describing what it means to live life well, what does it mean to be a good man, and he has to isolate, well, what is the definition of good? And he says, good is that which achieves its aim. And then he gives a very specific example. Medical science, the aim is health. We have a couple options here. Either we need to expand that definition of health, what constitutes health, or maybe is incorrect, and because that does not ha- that does not have to be the only aim of medicine. That medicine can have other things. Where do you sit in that? Do you think that the definition of health should be expanded, and or should we say that no, the the aim of medical science doesn't just have to be about curing disease? I think that's a huge comment right there about about curing disease because we think health is just about disease, but mm-hmm. that goes in hand in hand. But actually. And I think part of this is in society even now today, we realize that mental health is not given enough time or consideration. Mm-hmm. But there's a huge part of that in our society. We're seeing with people, you know, committing acts of suicide or, you know, homicide before they commit suicide, right? And a large part of it is that we don't understand how much mindset or how we perceive ourselves is important to the well-being of not just us, but our energy for other people. And I had this, there was one patient that I saw recently that really impacted me and how she explained it. Because she was like, I drove all the way here to come see you because of the energy you bring to me. I feel so much better about myself when I leave here that I have a happy experience. And I said, oh, wow, that's great. I feel like I'm 
making an impact on an individual level. She goes, no, actually, it's bigger than just me because I'll go home and I'm happy and I spread that happiness to my husband and my son. And so it's not just impacting me. And I was like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. That health, when we say health, it's not just personal health and health from a body standpoint, but also mind and well-being from that standpoint. And it's very interesting because it goes back to what you're saying about when you're in medical school and you make those choices. Oh, I was thinking I was going to help people, but Mm -hmm. no, I this was the farthest thing from my mind, but you are, I mean, it goes right back to, yeah, at the end you are helping people and it's not just that individual patient. Mm -hmm. It's every person that's in that person's life because though they feel more confident, they're happier and Mm -hmm. they're giving out better energy. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I understand how the, the, everything is one big circle now. Something I'm interested in is also the, let's say the, the measurements of it, right? Mm -hmm. So somebody comes in with a, Let's say you work on noses, for instance, and then is there a particular measurement or symmetry that then translates into wellness and confidence? What is the math behind oh, you mean the like, shift? Yeah. So you're talking about maybe mirroring science with... The aesthetics. It sounds the, like there's a mathematical answer to aesthetics. Leonardo da Vinci, in his grasp of the drawings that he did with man, the Vitruvian man, and the proportions, his belief was that you know nature designed human beings to be in certain proportions, just like with the rest of the world and nature and you know the trees and everything. So if you look at some of the textbooks, when we look at how the nose fits in the face, we think of it in proportions. Um, there's like a a perfect proportion to the nose in regards to the face as well as like to the size from the width from the length um, we talk about rotation and angles and it's so funny how you talk you just asked yeah. that question about how do we describe what's the perfect nose and we used to have that perfect nose described in a Caucasian sense I was just gonna ask about ethnicity yes okay yes. and as this has progressed over the years now the concept of beauty has changed for the perfect nose so we do have we talk about ethnic rhinoplasty so there's a category in itself because we know that we don't put the measurements of a caucasian nose on an ethnic nose because Mm -hmm. it's not going to be beautiful it's not going to fit the face for an ethnic patient so those measurements have changed essentially yeah that's just driving me crazy like everyone used to say oh you got a roman nose it's not (laughs) i just like your roman nose i'm like well first of all i'm not roman Second of all, uh, I don't want a Roman nose. I want a nose that just, you know, nobody can, you know, recognize or will say anything about it. So I I get the whole ethno, believe me, I wrote a screenplay about it. Well, that was actually one of one of my questions was that in Korea that the most popular uh, surgery has to do with the eyelids. The Asian blepharoplasty? Is that, okay, so I didn't know what it was called. Yeah, so it's it's creating a double lid, a crease, because there's a certain percentage of, I think, I, I don't quote me on this, but there is a certain percentage of Asians, especially in China, who don't have a double lid crease. And my mom used to say that you're lucky because you have one, but mm-hmm. not everybody has one. And in Korea, the concept of beauty is to have that crease. Okay. But the crease is created in a natural way so that it still mimics uh, Asians that have that double crease. Because the Asian double crease is not the same as a Caucasian upper eyelid crease, where the crease might be higher, and in Asians it's lower. So we want to create it to look still that they're Asian, but they just have that ability to have a more open eyelid. Two two things, really quick. 
about the no quoting. Sorry, you're on a podcast. <laughs> about quoting you. Sorry. You kinda, <laughs> you do. Number two, is that surgery done here in the United States at all? Yes. Yes. Uh, have you have you done any of those? No. Or? So it's it's funny because even though I'm Asian and people come to me and they'll say, "Can you do this for me?" I'm like, "Well, I don't really do this that often." And so everybody finds their little niche, and I just never took that niche. Okay. So What's there's your niche? a doctor who will do there's a surgeon who that's what they'll do that's a majority of what they do is that specialty i have a friend a colleague who's up in san francisco and a majority of his work is that i would say about you know up to half of what he does per week is just asian eyelid surgery how invasive is that like how long are they out for like are they in band they actually do it in the office outpatient yeah no kidding no in in korea they spin this out like 20 cases a day sometimes really yeah you clarified something for me because when, when I first heard about the surgery, I was thinking that it was to not look Asian, but you're saying, no, it's to restore, to continue. Yes. Okay. To, to still look Asian. It's okay. just they don't... The concept of beauty for them is that they're when you have a double eyelid crease, your eyes look more open. When you don't have that crease, and sometimes it's actually two, the second reason is that they do have what's called ptosis. So the muscle, when you don't have that double eyelid crease, the muscle also is not really strong into the fold so your lid is looking droopy it looks small the eyes look small they look tired and so they just want to open up the eyes more so what are some other benefits with what you see with patients coming in for their surgeries is there anything are there any memorable moments where somebody's really felt like there was something debilitating it was bothering them it wasn't just a little thing but they see you and then they feel like they have a new lease on life and so sometimes you know it's not just about beauty it's not just about I think that people get the wrong misperception about what plastic surgery does. Because sometimes it's not, there are some traumas. Sometimes it's, maybe it's not the face. It may be not from a facelift I'm talking about from the nose. Some people get teased about their nose. I had a little, (laughs) I had a young girl that was like that. And she was teased that she was, her nose was too pointy. So it's these small things that you don't realize how much it plays on somebody's well-being, their psyche, and how they perceive themselves. Maybe we should define what is body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. and then what role does that play for you when you're seeing patients where you can see that there is something that can help somebody, or if there is something else going on. Body dysmorphia, from what I understand, is it's not just a matter of being self-conscious. There's a laser focus on one oh, area yeah. of the body that mm-hmm. can actually prevent people from right. going on and living normal lives. So. Right. What is the difference between that that stems from kind of an obsessive and anxiety state to something like this young woman who wanted to change her nose? Well, it is on a a spectrum of of obsessive compulsive. They will pick and pick at one part of the body. Once they're at a good point there, they'll move on to another part of the body. Okay. So it's not just one spot. So that's a, a big difference as well. And what you see is that the most common areas are the nose and the ears but it's not just the face. So they'll pick out other parts of their body they're not happy with. And they'll go from one surgeon to the next to try to get that done. Yeah, one of the reasons why I came up here is I'm totally happy with my with my nose, but I got this thing underneath my chin I was hoping <laughs> you could take a look at because I've been thinking about it since I was 15. It just drives me crazy. It's a little bit of a joke. Kind yes. Of. I'm trying to <laughs> Yes, I see. Say, yes. It, yes. She's right. It doesn't go away. Once you fix the one thing, it does mm-hmm. travel. The obsession or the it does go on. 
there's no if ands or buts uh, um, about it like yeah. you will always find something on your body that you that you want to right. focus on mentally there's an issue with that i think with the stomach stapling is that a lot of patients end up uh, there's a high percentage of patients who become alcoholics Mm. And that one of the reasons is that, you know, the medicine is immediately wanting to take care of the obesity issue, but the obesity is actually a symptom of, can be a symptom of another problem. Right. And so the person uh, goes to alcohol and there's something about the procedure where the alcohol is absorbed in the body much faster. And so yes. you can see that happening. Yeah, that's an issue. So that's what I was interested in where, you know, somebody gets a surgery and what is a realistic expectation in terms of solving a problem Mm -hmm. it seems like if it's restoring confidence then you're allowed to you know go on with your life or Mm -hmm. you know the patients that you're describing what will it not do for you well that won't make you a better person no and and that's where it's sometimes hard because my job is to weed all that out in the conversation when I have my consultation with them because sometimes their reasons are unreasonable right they'll say something like I feel that people are staring at me and I want to improve this so that people don't keep staring at me versus something like I when I look in the mirror I love everything I see but the nose just stands out and if I could just get this to look less big I would be happier so one of the things that I hear sometimes is it's one area and then that gets better However, I do get patients who I haven't picked up from the conversation, and later on, we do that one spot, and then they start picking at another spot, and another spot, and another spot. And so the percentage, actually, of body dysmorphic disorder is low in the general population. It's around 2 to 3%, but in a plastic surgery office, it can be 30%. 20 to 30 percent, which is pretty higher. high. I'm surprised it's not higher than that. I would have thought it would have been higher, like more like 40 to 50 percent. No, it's not. Oh, not that's that good. high. But, no, that's good. But that's, that's a concern that I always have because it's about one in five of my patients coming in have some sort of body dysmorphic disorder, and I'm not picking up on it then because it's not that I turn away everybody, but there are patients who will pass through the system and you'll think, yeah, they seem pretty normal to me. They seem mm-hmm. like they just want to get this to feel better about how they look and perceive themselves. Think, think about an ethical person she is, right? I'm a lawyer and I want repeat customer clients, right? I want the client to continue to come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. But here in this realm, you're like, no, I don't want repeat clients because clearly there's a, there's a mental mm-hmm. element to this that they need to address and this isn't going to fix it and I don't really want to get involved yeah. with that. So that's, that's amazing, really, is that you have that dividing line. Yeah, what is the responsibility then of a cosmetic surgeon? Professional ethics? I have had to send some patients to get counseled first before I would agree to even do the surgery. So in the case of the young girl who was traumatizing herself, I had actually asked them to send her to counseling before I did the surgery. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, there were things that popped up that I was unsure that she was ready to have the surgery. So I asked for these things to be in place first. There was another case where I didn't even know that this was happening until later, where I had a patient who kept cutting his ears, traumatizing them. Mm. But when I first saw him, I thought it was just a trauma that somebody, you know, scratched his ear in a basketball game. But then I was like, why is it still opening up? It kept opening up and I was thinking something was wrong with what I was doing. And then I was realizing, no, he's going to the emergency room because he became more forthcoming with what he was doing and he was going to the emergency room and he would cut himself and go to the emergency room and have them repair it. And he kept doing these things and the emergency room was turning him away. 
exponentially. How often do you, if you if you don't mind me asking, when, and this is still corollary to the other question, how often are you seeing people coming in and saying, rather than I don't like the way my nose looks, mm-hmm. I want to look like her or him that or that? You know, I mean, how often oh, that is, is that so happening? So often, that is really? so often. Uh, Who are the top like how celebrities? Often? <laughs> like, <laughs> like one at one out of five, know. one Actually, out of two out of ten. I don't even know these celebrities. So that's the thing. Like, I'm that's scary. So I'm, Can you imagine? I want to look like this D-list person. <laughs> Looks yeah. good, but this way no one will think that I try to yeah. copy their face. No, they are actually pretty big, but I'm sort of out of tune. Oh, with, you, you and me both. Yeah. Totally I'm sort of out of tune of who is popular these days. So they'll bring up like, oh, yeah, she was on this show and this show. And I was like, I don't know who you're talking about. And then they show me the picture and I go, okay, I got it. But it doesn't fit with your face. And that's what yeah. I have to oh, have that discussion so with them. Difficult. Yeah. Like that's, uh, gosh, that's got to be hard for you to do. Oh, like, yeah. like, hey, this isn't going to happen. right? I'm I mean, actually happier when I have, I had a patient the other day. She was wanting to get less done rather than more. And I was like, oh, I'm happy that you're okay with that. Because for some people, they'll push the limit of what they want, right? They want like a skinnier nose, a smaller nose. And it's like, well, we have a limit as to how much we can do. If somebody keep coming in with the same picture with the fat lips on the women, because it seems like that that is, seems to be a look that's out. Puff, that the puffy was a lips. craze, though, before, but well, not it, so much now. Thank God, because that craze <laughs> has got to stop. I feel like there was one picture that somebody, and it just kept happening. I'm just against that. I'm sorry. I just don't think that's a good look. I've been I've been wanting for it to stop for a while, too. Just this exaggeration. <laughs> the, the features are just so exaggerated. I wonder if maybe that's one of the issues with cosmetic surgery is that it's a permanent thing that could be just susceptible to a trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the and lip filler is. was it was it lip filler? filler. Was it just filler, or was it? Were, 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 did you actually have people say no? I want these things to be permanent. Did that was um, that? No, majority maybe that's people, my ignorance. No, majority of people wanted just fillers, but some of them would want it to also be more permanent solution because they didn't want to keep coming in to get injected. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Well, I'm glad to hear that that's dying down. You know, I'm, <laughs> I don't mean to be passing judgment. I just, I mean, personally, it's not a thing of mine. Well, uh, I think part of that is, or maybe why it's more women is because the, as you get older, the symmetry in your face changes. So in order to restore the youthful symmetry, doing things like the giant eyelashes and the giant lips, because that restores the symmetry of the child. Well, I shouldn't even say child, but I mean, yeah, when you Just look youth. at it. When, yeah, yeah, youth. You mean, so they look like a cartoon character from youth? Well, I that mean, seems to be what's, what's happening, because you can clearly tell by the rest of the face that there's aging, and so it looks a little yeah, absurd. It, it does look absurd. <laughs> Actually, I'm glad you brought that. So how many times, okay, so you have you have a couple yeah. of, um, you have a couple of patients come in, you said mm-hmm. about one out of five, there's clear body dysmorphic, and you're probably doing your best to either dissuade them or you know say this is probably not the best thing you need to go to counsel how many out of five are people who are getting older and cannot accept it is that just another type of large is it is that ageism or is that body dysmorphic is it a subset what's that you know i don't know that we have enough studies to show that but i'm sure there's a spectrum okay yeah okay just like you would say that Trump is on the <laughs> on a on some kind of spectrum, we won't even go there. But but that's I, it's, yeah, you, we we can go on for hours on this one. But are you seeing the trend rising in, in the aging population, or is that I would imagine it's it, as the baby boomers are getting older and, and yes. plastic surgery is getting more. I don't want to say affordable, but definitely acceptable, perhaps affordable, because everyone's doing pretty well these days. Uh, are you are you just seeing like, hey, two out of, of my five patients are over the age of 60 
or over the age of 65? Well, I think it has to do with where I'm currently at. So it kind of determines the kind of people that come through here because where I live, where our practice is, is in an area that the average age is in the mid 40s. So you're gonna have a good proportion of of patients who are in their 60s who come in. And a good percentage of them are, you know, moms that are older moms that their kids are finally out and they wanna do something for themselves. Yeah, and that's a, a story that I hear a lot, which is that they want to do finally do something for themselves. So just being the L.A. kind of junkie guy in the room, you know, I grew up in L.A. I'm, a, I'm fascinated by L.A. The fact that you're in Ventura County, but it's like, you know, you're so close to some of the areas of L.A., like Calabasas, like Malibu, like, mm-hmm. you know, where the, where the stars are. Do you really just get your patients from, from Ventura or a significant portion of them coming up from L.A.? If I had to look at the numbers, I would say a majority of them are coming from this area, which would be Thousand Oaks, okay. Calabasas, Camarillo, Woodland Hills. They might come over this way a little maybe bit. Even, maybe even Simi Valley. Simi Valley, yes. Yeah. I think a lot of patients who come here will say that they have this image of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they'll do is they'll say, well, I, I've been, this is my you know second or third consultation. I've gone all the way to Beverly Hills because that's where plastic surgery is done. Right. That's right. like the plastic surgery mecca, should we say. Yeah, and that's clearly tied to, you know, Beverly Hills slash Hollywood slash movie industry. Yeah, yeah living, I live in the South Bay, and I'm very good friends with a large group of plastic surgeons down there. And they're and they're constantly, either they're coming to us or they're driving all the way up to Beverly Hills and dealing with the traffic. But mm-hmm. you know, most people do try to go up to Beverly Hills, I guess, just because, well, that's got to be where the best plastic surgeons are. That's the mindset that everybody has. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. When you were asking the question about bringing in bringing in a picture of a celebrity, if there isn't something cyclical about it, in that most likely the celebrity had surgery themselves, and so then to say make me look like this, the assumption is that that's how the person looks always. But they, you're actually mimicking a mimic. It's like of. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but you're you're probably right. Actually, without please, if you mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable, I think how how many celebrities have you seen? I know you're oh, up in Ventura I County. <laughs> I, yeah, okay, I know. I, I'm in numbers. If we're talking, since we're talking okay, numbers so and math, to, is there something about <laughs> having? I, about I see a head shaking over here. That question is dead. It'll be deleted from the podcast. It's not, I, I see, see how controversial I can be. So if you've got celebrities having plastic surgery, but then nobody knows it, and then you have all these young people saying, "Make me look like them." Then it's almost it gets distorted. It becomes a distorted you're reality. Right. True. Thank you. You're absolutely, you didn't say you, Remember when we started this? I said, well, you have to say a, you're absolutely right? Yeah, absolutely say, right. Thank you. you. That's a great question. <laughs> oh, she loves that. She loves that one. Yeah. Let's, this brings me to the next question about um, something you talk about on your website and that I think is a really interesting question in that the past plastic surgery was just, it was overdone. People were just like tightened up and it looked, mm-hmm. it just didn't look quite right. And then now the goal is a natural look. Mm-hmm. So that's also an interesting position to say we are going to do this to make you look natural. Mm-hmm. So what is the natural? What is the natural? Look, right? <laughs> what is the natural? Look? <laughs> if it's I want to know. The, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're still trying to achieve try, yeah. beauty by looking younger than how we are actually perceived. Age again, okay. So it's still again like you know somebody. They won't exactly say how young they want to look, but they certainly want at least like 10 years shaved off of their face. Mm-hmm. They want to look younger. That is a, I think it might be a mindset also here in LA. It's much 
more prevalent than I would say. Where I trained in fellowship, I was in Cincinnati, and I don't think it was as prevalent. And people will say that from my colleagues that are in other areas of the country. They're like, oh, well, everybody wants to have something done in LA. That's the thought that, you know, it's more prevalent here. So what is unnatural? Like if somebody comes to you and says, I want this, and you have to say, well, that would look unnatural. What is unnatural? Well, so I think it has to do also with the shape of the face. Okay. So when we're younger, like if you look at your pictures, so one of the things that I would do in a consultation, I have to ask them, can you bring me a photo of how you looked when you were 30 or 40 or the ideal age that you were happy with? Some people, well, most people routinely will bring it in their 30s or 40s. So that picture of youth is almost cut. It's like a snapshot in time that they were like, that was when I was most happy with how I looked. And that's usually a sign uh, with the volume of the face where it was is volume was higher up in the cheeks less than in the lower face mm-hmm. but as it, as people age they just get all the sagging so they're heavy in the lower face they look sadder okay. because the lips turn down or the eyes turn down that's usually what i find as natural is to try to achieve that back again which is where you looked the volume was upper in the upper face you didn't have the sagging in the lower face you didn't have the lips turning down mm-hmm. your eyebrows were turned higher rather than Drooping. Dr. T, I don't mean to be killing your business here, yeah. but I'm pretty happy with my face right now. What can I do to keep it? Can you, you got any tips? What can I do? I mean, besides take pictures and then save them for you later. What what, what suggestions sunscreen. would you make to a 42-year-old <laughs> man? I, I love that, Gwen. You just said the right it's answer sunscreen. there. Thank to maintain you. my natural... I see, I know, I I've been see putting, the I've been redness right now in your face. I did not have a drink at all before No, but I when you walk through the doors, I noticed right away... <laughs> You need more sunscreen? You need more sunscreen. Okay. I, I seriously just started to put some on on a daily basis about a couple of months ago. Anything else I can do? Like some avocado spread or something? <laughs> Nothing. You could actually invest in a little Botox. Really? Really? <laughs> okay. So that'll keep my face uh, facey like this? You know, the way I like to do Botox is where you still have motion intact. Okay. But then you're taking care of the lines that are starting to creep up. I didn't even know I had lines. Now I'm uh, very self-conscious. Uh, I'm going to be <laughs> See, on my phone looking at my face. that's why you don't ask these questions. No, that's okay. I'm going to be looking at my face for the next well, for the rest over here. So <laughs> now that you bring that up, that was one of the things that started this conversation with Dr. T was that I had read this article in The Atlantic about the sex recession. And the sex recession mm. is because, I promise this has a point, <laughs> that people are having less sex, especially the youth. And one of the reasons why is because they are more willing to take uh, photos of themselves that are filtered and send that to a potential lover as opposed to actually be naked. And they are using these filtered images to project who they want to be. And we were talking about this Mm -hmm. and you said you are getting filtered selfies. Oh, yeah. And people saying, make me look like this. Yeah. So now that you're saying like you want to look at a picture, I'm wondering... What is the the phenomenon of the cell phone and the selfies and all the filters? What kind of an impact is that having on your business? Oh, huge. I mean, that's changed also the way I I run my consultations sometimes. It Mm. depends on the person who's coming in and their age. Like if I see their younger coming in, one of the most common questions I'll ask is, so what pictures do you avoid taking? Because that's a huge one. That tells me, like, okay, which side they don't like or which angle, what part of their face they don't like. And But it's huge because every time routinely when I ask that, they know 
what I'm asking. They already know which yeah. side they don't like. So by younger, what do you mean? What's what's younger for you? 20s? Anybody 40 and below. Oh. Yeah. That's great. No, because you do have... <laughs> we do have our four-year-olds that still take selfies. Yeah. This is an ongoing joke between she and I. We, we, when we reconnected, I, I was in a crowd. I was... I was yeah. So, oh, my old friend Gwen was, like was there. And she's like, old? And it was, it's was. it been a joke between us ever since. So right. that's that's what little pun. Um, when you get these filtered pictures, do yeah. you... Because you're... You're a professional. Like, you you know people's faces. I mean, you just picked out, I need Botox, so I'm going to need to buy some on the way out. But do you? are you really good with, like, knowing, come on, man, I know this is filtered. Stop it. Not all the time. Really? No, not all the time. I'm surprised to hear that. But they'll show me what they want to look like. So, especially with what we have today, people will take their pictures and they'll Photoshop it or do whatever... The, apps that they have to be able to tweak it mm-hmm. and they'll say doctor i want this yeah i use photo lab just want to throw that out there it's an app that i use to make myself look okay. better yeah I think but I've yes heard that one yeah before. yeah it's good it's a good filter yeah <laughs> so sometimes you're fooled yeah oh wow i'm surprised i am i don't know i don't know why so the apps are really good then some of them can be i think that's scary <laughs> I do. I don't know why. I don't know how that b- b- relates to the sex recession thing because I didn't read that article. But that's very interesting to me. But some people don't want to keep people are modifying their pictures themselves because if they're able to, well, yeah, they're that's how it relates to the sex recession. Is that well? I mean, you need to be naked. Not, I guess, not completely. I'm trying to think of the technical. We have uh, we have our clothes on, by the way, in the show. It, yes, the air conditioning is off, but we are clothed. It's hot, but we are clothed. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure the crowd. Can hear. It's just that at first. There was this decline in the youth having sex, and people were happy about it because it was a decline in diseases, it was a decline in teen pregnancy. But then when they looked at the underscoring factors, it was disturbing. And one of the major factors was that people were not only on their phones all the time, but that because of the selfie, that people are more comfortable with this filtered, altered look Mm -hmm. as opposed to actually being vulnerable and in front of somebody where you know you don't have the filter so that's actually leading to it and that's how we start talking and i hear that a lot is that some of them will say if my friends take the pictures i'll tell them not to put it up yeah they don't want their pictures up unless they've had the chance to modify it there's a t-shirt that says don't tag me (laughs) well that's true there's memes about that like the picture you put up of yourself versus the one you're tagged in definitely whenever i put some photos onto facebook and some people or happen to be in in the crowd i've definitely gotten some messages saying hey man can you take that down like i don't feel like i look really good in that picture i'm like i didn't even tag you like yeah but people know me i'm like no dude it's staying on there like i get it it's and and at the same time what responsibility do we have? That person doesn't want his doesn't yeah. want their face on there. So yeah. I usually, whenever anybody says anything, I take it down. I really do. I mean, yeah. it's sensitive, especially somebody who got a nose job at the age of fifteen, who's had, who's gone through those issues and have dealt with them. I get it. You know, I'm yeah. sensitive to that. But yeah, this that's the generation that we're in. You know, because of social media, everything is about pictures and those impressions from the pictures. But what we're losing. And I think this is what's interesting about about your profession is you were talking about how confidence really is the most important thing, that it can't replace confidence, but it can somehow allow for confidence to shine through. Well, I have something on that. This, oh, is, this, yeah. is a, this is a question for you. Before we started talking, we talked about investment. We talked about how you built this. We uh, talked about welcome times and everything. Yeah. Did you make a decision to go into plastic surgery because you're like, Facebook's exploding. 
Instagram's exploding. Pictures are exploding. This is going to be a hot area going going forward. Not at all. Uh, I was Actually, just curious. I was just no, curious if there was a business side of it. Because <laughs> I, I was chatting with Gwen earlier, and we were talking about this, how I decided to go into plastic surgery. Because, again, we I did not have that idea that I was going to plastic surgery when I entered medical school. But when I came out and I was doing my uh, residency in head and neck surgery, the thing that attracted me the most was this subspecialty which was facial plastic surgery and it was the fact that I could mold the tissue and make a difference make a change right then and there and change something that was there and like totally close it up and make it prettier and when I applied for fellowship there were again that vein was I wanted to do something where I felt like I was helping people because there is a stigma even with among our classmates that you don't go into plastic surgery that is like you're selling yourself, you know, because you're going to a field that you're helping people to make themselves feel better about themselves. And so they look down upon that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to facial plastic surgery, but I want to do reconstruction. Oh yeah, reconstruction, because that way I'm truly helping people. Mm-hmm. So there's like a cancer, they've removed some skin off their face for this skin cancer, and they've got a huge hole in their face, and then I'm going to repair it. And that's what I'm really going to go into it for. But then I applied and I was actually matched in this. So the the way fellowship works and residency is that you get matched into program. And my fellowship was actually majority cosmetic and 20% reconstruction. That was how I matched in that program. And the first month I was, oh my God, like what am I doing? I was asking myself, I'm making people feel happier about themselves. And I truly was not knowing that this is... I was going to go down the route of cosmetic. But then the more I got into this, I thought, you know what? Let me just make the most of this year. And I was starting to notice when patients came back, the ones that I had been a part of, taken care of, and seen them come back and how happier they were with themselves. They just had a different air about themselves when they walked through the door. It was just, they were just that much happier and confident in who they were as a person. And that made a difference. I could say, okay, I was responsible for that. I was accountable for that change and I loved seeing that change it was huge Dr. T as somebody who did go through you know plastic surgery at a young age and it did have a profound impact on me when you hear from some people like oh people should just be happy with themselves like what's your best response to that that's hard because I'm not even happy with how I look <laughs> what? you're a human being no. I mean we're all we're all this I mean that you see that shows how human you yeah, are yeah. and how how honest you are I mean yeah. that's that's a profound thing to say Oh yeah, I get it. I mean, we're all we all feel that way. But but what is the best answer? Because I've always been somebody having gone through a nose job at a young age, been like, mm-hmm. hey man, I did it and it was great, and I I couldn't be happy with myself with it. I just I couldn't do it anymore. I don't know if that's a really good answer. Like, what's a better answer when you when when people say that? Oh, you, people should just be happy with how they look. It's that's an interesting that the show did there is yeah. because it's a moral claim. Totally. Know? That's what I think is interesting is that right. saying that you should be be happy with. Is how you look. shaming somebody for yeah. um, for desiring something else when you think you've got this one life and it's your body and aren't you allowed to be in the world how you want? But then that's that perspective of that person who may be truly happy with how they look because they don't have any anything that bothers them. But right. somebody else who hears that, it's like, wow, you're making this judgment about me and I just doing this, I'm doing this for myself. I'm not doing it for you. I'm making this decision for myself that this is what bothers me and I'm doing it for my own happiness. That's why when I went to this field and I had colleagues that were like, wow, you're you're selling yourself, you know, you're 
doing this for the wrong reasons. You're helping people to feel better about themselves. Looking back now, I'm actually quite happy. I'm very happy with the field I chose because I get to make a difference every day. And that's huge for me when I see somebody come back and they're so happy with themselves, with the choice that they made and this journey that they made and the changes that they see. When you're walking around town, you see any informer patients, obviously you don't say anything to them, but is there that part of you like, man, they look good and I did that. I do. I did, I did, I did that. I did that. I yeah. do. That's the ego talking, of course. <laughs> it is. Well, with this, you know, you should be happy to go. I think that women, and maybe it's getting to be more men, but they have to walk this line of if they do not take care of themselves. You know, things are even marketed like beauty products are mm-hmm. marketed like take care of yourself, do this for yourself. Um, you're a good person if you are doing some kind of a beauty regimen. There, there's this moral claim attached to women. I mean, if I were to just, you know, go to work and spend as much time on how I look as I would a man, like just, you know, shower and then just run, like no makeup on, not really care about what I'm wearing or brush mm-hmm. my hair. And people would start to wonder like, God, does she just give up? You know what I mean? It would be, <laughs> and then she'd just wake up and say, fuck it. You know, like, I know, just, I get a lot and there would be, there would be a moral claim attached to that. And then some women who do with all of the beauty stuff, if they do it too much, then they're oh, considered yeah. vain. I'm going to, I'm going to set myself up for a great thank you right here. Okay. Neither of you have to worry about that. That's spending a lot of time waking up or doing it or doing yourselves up. Just wanted to throw that out there. Can I get some thank yous? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I wasn't, you stole my line though. I, I wanted to say oh. <laughs> for I'm those sorry. who aren't, aren't seeing this, right? Cause it's a podcast. I would say I'm amongst people who are all attractive. That was the, other, than, included. other than the red face, <laughs> other than the red face and the Botox. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can get over here. I'm, I'm happy with that. I had actually heard this too, and, and you brought it up that women do get higher pay based on attractiveness. Yes, based on beauty. So I think I explained to you that there was a study that looked at this, and they said the average pay when they looked at comparison of those who weren't as attractive and those who were more attractive. Yes, pay increases the more attractive you are, physically attractive you are, beauty being that being the definition. But they also looked at those who were beautiful and they said, okay, who has confidence, the self-confidence? And they found actually the pay was even exponentially higher with confidence. So the reason why I would say, you know, I enjoy what I do because I do see that difference that we're making. People coming in who already have some confidence in themselves, but they're lacking it because they feel that when they're in certain social circles or whatever, they feel like maybe people are having that. They're just less, they feel a little bit more insecure in certain environments that maybe their nose is too big. Once they get that done, now they're walking into a room, they're not even thinking about that anymore. Mm -hmm. So they're able to be fully themselves, to be fully confident. Yeah, I, no, I couldn't agree more. I was just going to, I was, th- as she was talking, I was thinking about myself and the industry that I'm in, yeah. which is, um, you know, I'm a lawyer by day and I'm in the municipal bond industry. And I'm thinking, I wonder if I chose that industry because on the, on the totem pole of, you know, looks mm-hmm. like I, I happen to be pretty, pretty good. So maybe that helps with my confidence and mm-hmm. good getting in. I'm not trying to destroy the looks of all muni, muni <laughs> municipal professionals out there. I'm just saying I'm able to compare myself and maybe that helps 
my confidence yes in selling myself because oh, I sell myself all day long I have I to I love what you just said because selling yourself is huge that's a skill I mean that was what Warren Buffett said is like number one that you need to is it Warren Buffett somebody who said that but that's a huge skill that you need to learn it's just how to sell yourself correct and I, what you're doing I think you're right that when you have confidence you're able to sell yourself so much better yeah now if I walked into a room filled with like actors and models and, and men that were in like great shape. I don't know what kind of confidence I would have. It depend. It would depend upon what I'm selling. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's 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 compare. It, you got to compare like with the yeah, industry standard. Like, what's mm-hmm. the industry standard? Like, who are you comparing yourself against? Um, I think confidence has a way of going up and going down depending upon the the industry that you're in and then what you're quote unquote comparing yourself to it's just natural i think right so then for men is there the same correlation between attractiveness and pay or do we only know that for women we do know with men actually if you look at the top ceos and they've done this and they looked at the attractiveness of the top ceos they're all usually tall and handsome really have got some attractiveness yes i knew the tall thing but the thing is that if somebody was overly confident, so they were looking at confidence scale, not necessarily just the attractiveness, if they were overconfident, then their pay was actually less for men. Yeah, the confidence was, if the scale goes too high, you don't want that either. In the legal field, people who think that they are better lawyers than they actually are, yeah, that's a huge Achilles heel. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, I get that. Yeah. The whole freezing thing, the freeze the fat thing or the freezing thing. like She does you, a heat one. What, oh, yeah, I do a heat one. Are you doing a lot of those things these days? The out, I mean, that's outpatient, isn't it? So I work on the face, I'll remind you. <laughs> oh, I know But that. I do have patients who will always start asking, well, what else can you do for me? Because once they have one area, you know what? They want another area to look better as well. And so that is, it's huge in this, I would say, LA too as well. Everybody wants to look fit. I want my eyes. face to look fit. That's what, that's <laughs> what I'm trying to ask. Freezing the fat, does it work? Freezing the fat? Yeah. With you're talking about uh, he's cool talking sculpting. About. Yeah. The cool sculpting. sculpting. Yeah. yeah. What do you? I what's your professional everywhere. opinion? It it works, and it's probably um, you know there are only so many devices out there that would say have te- stood the test of time. Hmm. Cool sculpting is one of them. Uh-huh. However, there it's also operator dependent. So we have patients who will say, well, cool sculpting didn't work for me. But it's also because of how it was applied. You know, sometimes you have to let them know ahead of time that they're going to need multiple treatments. They're going in thinking they need only one treatment. But it's actually, sometimes you have to put the applicator in a certain way, overlapping so then you have a good treatment. But that requires multiple sessions, not one session. So it's just setting the expectations. But cool sculpting works. Nice. There you go. I know. I'm going to be checking but there's Groupon. A new one. Is there, are they on there's Groupon a new yet? one that you need to know about, actually. <laughs> um, there's a new one that has to do with stimulating your muscles. So it's something that they put around your waist that then the, the stimulation causes the muscles to activate the whole time. And you have multiple sessions of this. Basically, it's doing it without working out. You're strengthening your muscles without working out Wait, to I burn s- the like fat. I saw that on TV. Yeah, Is that actually amazing. something that can work? Yes, it can. <laughs> I gotta go. I saw. I got. I got. I got to go order this thing right now. So you don't have to go to the gym. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, the doctor actually gave a thumbs up on that. Any any particular products that uh, you would like to name name a few names? Of? <laughs> I, this is this podcast is not about naming. Mm, I just wanted a tip for the Otherwise, listeners. Otherwise, I get some money off. Of you wanted some listeners. That's a fair, fair enough, doctor. Fair enough, doctor. Okay, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Try it. Try it. I tried. It's like, 
I'll do an interview and see if I can get something. Yeah, try to get something. Yeah, get something out of this. Okay, how can people get in touch with you? I can be reached by Instagram. Yes, I can be reached by Instagram at Faces by DRT, so Faces by Dr. T, or my YouTube channel. If you look up Dr. Tanzavati, and that's spelled T A N. S-A-V-A-T-D-I. Uh-huh. If you look that up, you'll be able to find me. Your website's okay, great, too, by the way. Oh, thank yeah, you. You've got yeah, a, you've got an excellent website. Thank you. All right. We're still working on that one, though. We're doing some a Botox. I said it needs some Botox and a little bit of... Yeah, no, yeah. I, I hear you. Well, thank you so much. It was a great discussion. Thank you, Gwen. Thank, thank you, Rudy. Thank you, Dr. T. Thank you, Gwen. Bye. Awesome.